Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the word-giving, insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now, on to today's message. Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Doing good? Yeah, man. Merry Christmas. Thank you guys for taking time on Christmas Eve. I know some of you have not done your shopping yet. Shame on you. Um, to come and spend this time with us today. Y- y'all, that was my son up there, the one that went bah. You know, so leave it to the pastor's son to go bah and be the one who is, um, you know, not answering the questions correctly. Well, just want to say if you're uh, with us today and maybe it's your first time with us, thank you for, you know, coming to Thrive on Christmas Eve. And you've actually joined us in the middle of a series. We're actually finishing a series up called Come to Worship. And here was my heart for Come to Worship. During the Christmas season, you're busy with getting gifts, right? You're busy planning the meals. The family's coming in town. It gets a little hectic. Well, somewhere along all of this, we actually forget the reason we even have Christmas. And it's because of Jesus. And it's so easy for all of us to do that. And so this series here was designed for us to actually take a note from the wise men and come to worship. And that's what it says that they did. They came to worship him. So week one, we looked at worshiping God. And one of the expressions is the Bible says we can lift our hands to the Lord. And that's a signal of surrender and victory. Week two, we looked at um, that the wise men brought gifts uh, to Jesus. And that, you know, giving to the kingdom of God is good. Week three, we looked at pouring out our hearts in worship. Because God is our refuge, our safe place. You know, worship of God is not just something mentally you do. Or, or something you do with just... You know, your strength with all of your soul. And so you pour out your heart to him. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's going to be a little foreign to many of us in here, especially in our culture, which is kneeling and bowing. And I want you to look at Matthew 2, verse 10. In verse 11, it says, when the wise men saw the star, they were overjoyed. In previous weeks, we talked about overjoyed meant Ren and Stimpy, happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, right? It was a compounding joy that kept growing and growing. Why? Because the promised Messiah for thousands of years was promised and now he was born. And they were excited that he was that. They were overjoyed. And it says this in verse 11. Pay pay close attention here. Put your Christmas ears on. On coming to the house, say house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped him. Now, let's just pause for a second here. Time out because we read this. If you're like me, you've literally heard this account For so many years, you're probably numb to it, right? You're like, I know exactly what it's going to say, exactly what's going to happen. Well, let me show you what happens here. And it's a little turn that you didn't expect. Most scholars believe that when King Herod sent the wise men, the Magi, of course, he was spying out because he heard this king of the Jews was being born. And Herod did not like a rival king to be born. So when he heard he was being born, he sent the Magi and they traveled, watch this, 900 miles to get there. Now, flying 900 miles is pretty easy, right? Driving's uh, train, uh. But all right, let's try donkey, camel, horse, 900 miles. Most scholars believe it would have taken those wise men following the star. That's why it was so supernatural over two years to get there or right at two years to get there. 
So when they arrived, as the writer said here, they arrived to the house, not the stable. And they saw the child, not the baby. Jesus at this point was about two years old. You're saying, now what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? It changes everything about the Christmas story. Does anybody here have a two-year-old? Okay, you may know. Has anybody ever had a two-year-old? My, 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 how you forget so quickly. Has anybody been around a two-year-old? Okay, now all of us can say yes and here you can participate. Good. Two-year-olds. Before I had a child, I was like, I would watch the parent in the restaurant and the two-year-old would like take his mashed potatoes and throw it on the floor and throw a temper tantrum. I'm like, no, 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 no. When I have a kid, that ain't going to happen. And then you, you know, you'd pick, you pick the two-year-old up and they go limp and you're like dragging them out of there and they're, ah, they're screaming and crying. And you're like, yeah, they're bad parents. They don't understand. You know, and I even read the books. I knew everything. But can I tell you that when we had a two-year-old, he's almost three now. Again, he was the one going blah on the screen. We did timeout, we did the interrupt rule, we learned consequences, choices, privileges, all that. And at some point you say, look, man, look, look, here's the deal. I'll buy you a pony if you'll just let me eat lunch today and not leave early from this restaurant. Is anybody with me? I will get you an iPad. I will, as much as I hate cats, I'll buy you a cat, son. Just please. That's what a two, that's what it's like having a two-year-old. Heard one comedian say this. He said a two-year-old is a lot like a little tiny crackhead. But hear me out. Their clothes are all disheveled. There's food all over them. There's snot dried to their face. Like my son today, if you go up there in the nerd, that he's dried to his face. And like a two-year-old will look at you and say, I can fly. You're like, you cannot fly. Yeah, I can fly. I, right? And then they will do something that no other human being or creature will do. They will stare you in the eyes. And without blinking, they will use the bathroom right in their pants. <laughs> They will cockeye in there. That's what we call it. And like, and you literally, like, you're looking at them. If, if you have a trained eye, you can see the lip quiver a little bit. And then you ask, son, did, did you cockeye? No. And lie to your face. Like, bro, I can smell it. I know what you've just done. Like, that's the two-year-old. So the wise men weren't coming at this pretty little manger scene. And bowing to this little baby and a man. They had a two-year-old. I don't know what Jesus did. We don't know what Jesus did. Maybe he didn't act like a normal two-year-old. Uh, he had parents. He had to learn obedience, the Bible says. Um, so maybe he had to do that. But I know this. Bowing to a two-year-old is serious. And that's what the wise men did. I want to talk to you today about, again, something that's foreign in our culture, but an expression of worship, at, at, like we've talked about, where your heart is bowed before the Lord, and maybe even you take time to express that to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And so today, I want you um, to look at Psalm 95, verse 6. Psalm 95, verse 6. I mean, guys, you bow two times in your life. Once when you propose... And once when you're doing your football pictures. <laughs> Ladies, y'all don't ever bow. Your pictures are all those little, right? Like they did the weird, the weird poses that make you do at school. And so we're not used to it. But look what the scripture has to say about this posture of worship, which is foreign to us. 
The writer of the psalm says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. That Hebrew word there for worship is the word shaka. Don't confuse it with shaka khan, right? 80s reference there, millennials, you just missed that. You can, you can Google that, it will come up. But that word there is used 170 times in the Bible. And it doesn't mean just to come and sing some songs and clap or just kind of, ooh, it doesn't feel good. Uh, what, what it literally meant to them, that word worship meant to get as low as you could before God and bow before God and get before God as low as you could get before him to humble yourself in a posture of worship. Now, many of us have never done that before the Lord. But that's what we see 170 times. It says it in here. Again, we don't understand bowing and kneeling. To us, bowing and kneeling is weird because we don't live in a king kingdom with a king or a queen or a monarchy, right? We have a president. We live in a republic. And we don't kneel. We don't bow. But do you understand that we are celebrating the birth of Jesus, the king? Like Jesus is a king with a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And that's who we're worshiping. And so you're thinking, well, that's weird. This is weird. It's not weird to Jesus because, again, he's our king with a kingdom. The other interesting thing here is that God never tells anybody to bow down to him. God never tells you, hey, bow down. I'm God. Bow down, Jesus the king. It's just assumed that when you know the majesty and the greatness of King Jesus, that when you know that, your rightful response is to worship in a mode of being humble before the majestic and awesome King that he is. And again, we don't get that. So what I want to do today, I want us to understand what this means. And here's your big idea. If you're writing down in your notes today, please write the big idea down today. Each week, we talk about what worship is. Remember first week, worship involves expression, right? You say, well, I don't get what love involves expression. You can't tell somebody, you know I love you. You've never said it. You've never hugged them. You've never kissed them. Right? Like, like with your wife, at some point you had to express love in some way. You can't just say, well, you know I love you. No, no, it has to be expressed, right? Week two, we said worship involves demonstration. And that uh, you know, giving charitably, financially to the kingdom of God is giving. That's actually worship. Week three, we talked about worship involves emotion. Pour out your heart to God. Cry before the Lord. That's what he wants from you. He cares about your situation. Today, here's our big idea. Worship involves a posture of humbleness and a pursuit of holiness before our Creator. Worship involves a posture of humbleness and a pursuit of holiness before our Creator. It's having a heart of being humble before God and then a pursuit of our Creator and pursuing Him and His holiness. My heart during this series is to take Jesus' commandment when He was asked... What is the greatest of the 613 Jewish commands? Again, Jesus was Jewish and the scribe come to him. He said to love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. My heart today is to bring us back to that, that we understand that Christmas 
And the rest of our life is about worshiping Jesus with everything that we have within us. And so I want to look at, again, this foreign concept of kneeling. And I want to give you three ways and three reasons you can actually kneel before God. The first we're going to look at is this. We're going to kneel in pursuit. Write this in your notes. We're going to kneel in pursuit. And I want you to look at Mark 10, 17. Mark 10, 17, you can write in your notes. Jesus was speaking to a very rich young man. And, and look what happens here. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Don't miss this. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, now I have taught this several different ways. I have focused on this and focused on that. But you know what I never noticed? What posture did he have when he approached Jesus? He did what? He fell on his knees before Jesus. Literally fell down. He just didn't quietly kneel. What must I do to be saved? We have to kneel in pursuit. And some of you today are on church drugs. You know what church drugs are? Well, you get drugged to church all the time, right? When I was growing up, I got drugged to church all the time. I was on church drugs, man. All the time. I didn't want to go. Maybe you did a friend a favor. Maybe you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you're on the fence. You're wondering, like, man, what's this thing about? You may be in the same boat that this gentleman was in too. But look at the posture that he took. He knelt in pursuit and said, what do I need to do to know about my eternity? Isn't it funny that we spend much more energy on life and you're going to spend a lot more time in eternity? And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? It's okay if you don't believe to question God and say, God, show me if you're real. Reveal yourself to me. Show me, please. Here's why it's important. Before I gave my life to Jesus, I was a party animal, right? Like you were junior varsity, I was varsity. I got kicked out of East Carolina University. Try me. Number one party school on the East Coast. And I remember when I was really having this, this crisis and the, and the Lord was pursuing my heart. My best friend had just given his life to Jesus. I saw a change in his life. I mean, he twinkled in his eyes. He looked alive. He wasn't that, you know, dead behind the eyes. And, you know, I don't need God. I, you know, but, but still just very miserable. But he was excited and joyful. And, man, he literally stopped everything cold turkey. I'm like, what is going on? So, I remember one night I was at a party. And I walked out of the party. And I literally knelt. Didn't know any of this stuff in the Bible. And I said, God, if you're real and all this stuff is real, I want to see this world how you made it through your eyes. Please show me. I didn't know what I was saying. I just got up and went back in and partied, right? That's <laughs> what you do. And literally three days later, I found myself in a youth worship service. My friends couldn't believe I was going to go, and I gave my life to Jesus that day on March 1st, 1999, because I, I was okay to question, God, this is real, show me. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you are a Christ follower today. Maybe you say, I'm a Christian. Well, man, listen, pursue Jesus. Kneel in pursuit of him. Kneel in worshiping him. He is worthy to be leaned into and follow him with all of your heart. Here's the second way that we're going to kneel. Not only in pursuit, but we're going to kneel, and I'm going to cuss in church. Are you ready? Are you ready for the cuss word? Kneel in repentance. That's a bad word in church. You know, some churches won't use that word anymore. It's bad. Right? 
Kneel in repentance. Let me explain this to you. This is, this is so um, uh, important here. Many of us are choosing our own way and we're miserable. Repentance is realizing the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the call of God, and saying, God, I see that, and I want that, and I'm turning from my life to turn to you because I want that so bad. And as a matter of fact, there's a great illustration of this in the, in Luke's gospel, and you know Luke the doctor took all this into account and wrote a careful, you know, account of Jesus' life. And here's what he writes about Peter. Now, now realize Peter was a fisherman, okay? Jesus by trade, we believe, was a carpenter because of what his father did. And usually it's passed down, right? So here's what happens. Before Peter started really following Jesus, he's fishing all night. Anybody ever done catfishing all night? I, I've done that. I used to do it all the time. Loved it. Some of y'all know nothing about the South. Please, I see that hand, sir. See that hand? God bless all of you. So it's a long time fishing all night if you've ever done it before. And so he's fishing all night and they caught nothing. How discouraging is that? And Jesus comes along the shore and says, hey, why don't you catch a net on the other side? I'm sure Peter's like, oh, gee, I'll... We've been here all night. Our trade has been a fisherman, and we never thought to cast it on the other side. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Are any of you in a trade or a career where there's always people who think they know more about your career than you do, and they don't do it? It's like the people who go on WebMD and know more than their doctor does. Love it. So, okay, as Dr. Phil says, let's see how that works out for you. But this is what happened. This carpenter's telling him. And so summon Peter and the guy say, well, who cares? It's worth a shot. They throw the net on the other side and they get so many fish in one catch. It just net begins to break. Things go crazy. And then Peter, I want you to look what happens here. It says when Simon Peter realized what had happened, a miracle, a divine intervention of God, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Repentance is when you realize that you don't deserve anything that God's given you. People say, why do bad things happen to good people? Stop it. Why do good things happen to such a disgraceful people like us? I don't deserve anything that God has given me. Friends, all the evil that I did before I got saved and what I did to people and I stole from people and I ripped people off and I lied to people and I hurt my parents, I don't deserve the wife that I have. I don't deserve the son that I have. I don't deserve the home that I live in. I don't deserve to be on stage. I don't deserve any of these things. And what I do is I customarily will get down on my knees and thank God for his graciousness to my life, for redeeming me. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't redeem myself. God, forgive me of thinking I'm a self-made person. Forgive me of living my life not thinking about you. Like literally I'll go a whole day and not think about the goodness of God. And do you know that your creator every morning is painting a sunrise and saying, I hope they see it. Oh, it's so beautiful. And we're just like, uh, coffee. Uh. We look at all the things that are going wrong. We never pause to see the beauty of what God has done for us. And when we do, we'll be just like Peter. We'll fall on our knees and say, God, forgive me. I am too much of a sinner. People who don't think they're sinners are probably actually the worst ones because they don't realize how, realize how 
bad they really are and how good God really is. Today, maybe you need to kneel in repentance. Maybe you've tried your own way. Maybe you thought that you could do it. Maybe you've been casting your net out all night. The single ladies in here, the next verse says that you will now catch men. That should be your favorite verse. <laughs> Just joking. Not out of context. So they told Peter, and, and maybe you've been casting your net so many ways on your own. And it's time to say, Jesus, I'm submitting to you. I'm kneeling in repentance. I want your way because that's the way of joy. That's the way of peace. That's the way of true fulfillment in my life. Peter knelt in repentance. And listen to me, God will never turn away anybody who kneels in repentance. You may think, man, I came into church. I thought lightning was going to strike me. I'm glad it wasn't a thunderstorm. Well, guess what? It hasn't happened yet. Now, we still got about two hours. I'm joking. <laughs> That's a sign, right? Like, 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 yeah. God will never turn you away when you come to him with a repentant heart. Just like Jesus didn't turn away Peter in the same way. And here's the final way that we're going to kneel. We're going to kneel in submission. We're going to kneel in pursuit. We're going to kneel in repentance. And finally, we're going to kneel in submission. Um, when I was growing up, my brother was 10 years older than me. So he would practice wrestling moves on me. You know, the Ric Flair figure four? It hurts. Jimmy the Superfly Snooker, right? The Junkyard Dog, like all the moves. I said, y'all don't know nothing about this stuff, y'all young people. This, the wrestling day ain't what it used to be, man. Right, like, like the DDT, like, like my brother did all that stuff to me. He used to get me in these moves and I literally would never submit. Never. I was like, you'll break my arm if I submit to you, boy. Oh, man. Right? So like he would always, I, I just went, and I was even so bad that when my dad would spank me with a belt. Yes, that used to happen if there's any teenagers in here. That one, back in the day in ancient history, parents used to actually spank their children with a belt. <laughs> Joking. Kidding. But what I used to do was my dad would spank me and I'd just be like, I ain't, I ain't crying. Go ahead, man. I ain't crying. And after a while, I'm like, he's like, come on, man, cry. They just, because I try to be, I, I would not submit. Finally, I would have to give dad a courtesy cry so he would stop because he's not, you know, he didn't want to have to go to jail for child abuse, right? I refuse to submit. You know, many of us today are the same way with God. That's why we need to learn to kneel in submission to him. God is that good, loving father who's trying to lead you into the best way for your life. And you have every reason and every excuse to keep putting your arms out saying, God, I'll do it my way. Just stop. I've got it all figured out. Yeah, I know that no relationships work, but I'm going to keep doing it my way. <laughs> I know that no jobs work, but I'll do it my way. Just leave me alone, God. You just stay there, stay at arm's distance. Christmas, Easter, I'll do it. Appease my family. Leave me alone. They're called CEOs. I'll do it my way. But do you understand that God has a better way for you? And it may not be the easiest way. But he has literally laid out a plan for your life. He literally wants you to experience joy and grace and peace. And as I said, fulfillment and a rich relationship with him. But many of us are like, no God, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. I'd rather, I'd rather live with a broken arm submit to you. Now we wouldn't say that on Christmas Eve, would we? But that's many times how we are. You know, one of the most beautiful passages about this is the passage of Jesus in the garden. It says that Jesus, this is right before he's going to be crucified, it says Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond his disciples. 
He knelt down, he what? Knelt down and prayed. And here's what he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And watch this. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus had a crisis in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, I don't want to go through this. I do not want to have to go through the cross. The most painful form of punishment known in Rome. And the night before he said, God, if it's possible, if all religions can be one and I don't need to go to the cross, let it be. If Muhammad or Buddha or Moses is good enough, let them do it. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And that's the most beautiful prayer that we can pray. Not my desire, but your desire, God. And can I tell you, every time I have knelt to God's desire, even though there may have been a temporary pain or not understanding something, God always on the other side blessed me beyond my belief. I did not want to leave the beaches of South Florida to come to Richmond, Virginia, friends. I literally, it literally... And many of you know there are 20 folks who were here at this church and we came in, I came, but I said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I'm going to tell you, it's the best thing that's happened to me besides my wife and my son. As far as earthly things, where salvation is, you spiritual people, I know that. You know, no, and, and I tell you the most powerful time besides Jesus, somebody prayed this prayer. When I asked my wife to marry me, she said, God, if this cup would pass from me, please, yet not my will, but yours be. No, I'm, I'm joking. She didn't do that, but <laughs> she's real spiritual. <laughs> and she accepted the cross and married me, and I married up in life. See, I understand this. People who kneel are the ones who have the strength to stand under pressure and temptation. The ones who kneel to pray often have the strength to stand under pressure and temptation. Today we are celebrating the birth of Jesus, but do you know that he's not a baby in a manger? He's not a man in a tomb. He's at the right hand of God. And I like here in Philippians 2, 8 through 11, this is called the kenosis in the Greek because this is the crux of like, Philippians 2 is the crux of Christianity. And I love what Paul writes here in Philippians 2, 8 because here's the truth. We can kneel now or kneel later, but guess what the truth is? We're all going to kneel at some point. And here's what it says here. It says, and Paul said, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Where? Y'all want to listen to where? Jesus hitting a higher power. He's the highest. The highest place. And gave him the name that is above what? Every name. That the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should do what? Bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, we take this time every year to focus on the birth of Jesus. And I'm so thankful for it. I love the Advent season. But there's two things that should happen during Christmas. And I remind you every year of this at Thrive because y'all got spiritual amnesia. We should celebrate the birth of the Savior and the coming of Messiah. But we should also look to the eastern sky for the second coming of Messiah. 
Because friends, this earth is not all there is. If you're a follower of Jesus, we have heaven as our home. When you have an empty chair there around your dinner table and there's mourning going on, you need to pause and remind each other of this very truth. And that's what we do here is that we're going to posture ourselves to say, God, thank you for sending your son. We are humbled. And what we're going to do in a few minutes is we're going to light the Advent candle. Advent means the coming. And we're going to sing and we're going to worship with the highest praise, which is the word hallelujah. And then after that, we're going to lift our candles in adoration, saying, Jesus, we wait on your return again. Because listen, it's so important that you encourage each other with this. That you encourage this when you're around your table, when you're around there and you've lost the loved one, when maybe the family isn't what it used to be, that you remind yourself of this. If you will stand to your feet this morning.